Welcome in to a fresh edition of the Back and Forth Podcast. I'm your host, Stat Matt, joined alongside, as always, by my co-host, Joey G. And a very packed show today. And it all has kind of a central theme to it, that being the city of Las Vegas. That's where all of these teams that we're going to talk about reside in, or maybe soon to reside in. Um, while future home, I should say. Future, future home. Uh, while we're on that topic, let's jump right into the headline. Uh, news broke today that there's some more serious talks going on with the Oakland A's. They have submitted plans to uh, build an arena within the Las Vegas, or not arena, but I guess a ballpark. Um, They're going to play a team mobile. <laughs> yeah, if it hits the roof, it hits the roof. It's all right. Um, a, they submitted a pl- uh, plan to build a ballpark in the Las Vegas Valley. Um, all signs are pointing that talks are becoming a lot more serious now and that this could be getting closer to the Oakland A's moving to Las Vegas uh, from Oakland and Vegas adding another professional sports league to its sports market. To our arsenal. Um and uh, and that's the second team we're taking from Oakland. So I bet you Oakland is just their big uh, their big Las Vegas people up there. I don't think they'll ever take a trip to Las Vegas again after we take days from them. But uh, yeah, this is huge. You know, especially for me and Matt in particular. Uh, growing up in Las Vegas, and me and Matt both being huge fans of uh, professional basketball, football, baseball. You know, the whole nine yards. Being huge sports guys, and uh, you know, we never could have thought ten years later we would see. Um, NFL here in a 70,000 uh, 70, seat dome stadium uh, adjacent to the Las Vegas Strip. We never thought we'd see T-Mobile Arena sitting right there on the Las Vegas Strip, hosting national the National Hockey League, and then now uh, possibly professional baseball. Uh, and now, obviously, there's talks somewhere down the line again an MLS team uh, that just leaves one league out in the NBA, which we're going to talk about very soon here. Uh, once I get done talking about the A's. I like this move for the A's, the athletics. You know, if you can't get a ballpark out in uh, Oakland, um, I think Las Vegas is the best option. You know, you kind of give those fans in Oakland now excuse to come to Vegas. Uh, it's not too – I mean, it's not close by any means to Oakland, but, I mean, it's better if you move the team. It's better if you move them to Vegas than instead of moving them to, like, Salt Lake City. You know, I mean, people, people from Oakland will make that trip to Las Vegas. I don't think they're going to make the trip to Salt Lake City to go see the athletics play. Uh, and again, it's a chance to get a, a beautiful new ballpark. I'm assuming, I think it has to be, I think they're going to be called the Henderson Athletics, to tell you the truth. I think they're going to build it somewhere in Henderson because I read somewhere, and I don't know if this still holds up, that you cannot have a MLB, an MLB team and a um, AAA baseball team within the same city. So I'm guessing a way the to kind of get around that is they're going to put them in Henderson or something, or maybe Inspirata. They'll be called the Inspirata Athletics. Who knows? But I think they'll be called the Henderson Athletics. They'll build the ballpark somewhere. I know they're looking at a few properties in uh, it's Water Street. Is that what it's called in Henderson? Yeah. Uh, and around that area. So I think I think another good spot is where the uh, I can't even. It's a station casino. It's called like the Fiesta. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm talking about? It's on the freeway you take to Boulder City. Yep. That casino's closed down, and now it's just a huge lot. Uh, so you could easily blow that place up and then build. And it's right there by the freeway, right? has freeway access right there. So I think that'd be a another good spot to uh, to build the ballpark. So, I mean, we'll see what happens. Uh, now kind of going shifting to NBA, uh, this kind of sends a message, uh, I think, to the National Basketball Association that somewhere down the line, Vegas is ready, and Vegas should be your number one option. I know the, the Seattle advocate, NBA commissioner Adam Silver, uh, wants to put a team in Seattle for God knows what reason. 
when that team struggled with attendance and I think Vegas has been proven a successful market um, I think you have to give Las Vegas a chance especially if the A's move here you see how well the Raiders are doing in attendance you see how well the Knights have done in attendance you see how well even the Aviators uh, our minor league baseball team does in attendance and even our minor league uh, soccer team and even our minor league hockey team uh, they all do very well in attendance everyone does very well in attendance here except one one particular uh, one particular uh, sporting team uh, well two I guess UNLV football even football's kind of doing better so I'll just say UNLV basketball that's kind of the only uh, team here struggling in attendance and I think I think Vegas uh, is proven uh, they can host all five of the major uh, uh, sport le- sporting leagues hockey baseball NBA um, NFL and MLS somewhere down the line so I think it's only a matter of time and I think within the next 10 years we'll have all five and I don't think Adam Silver is dumb I don't think he's blind to see what's going on Um, I think Vegas will get an NBA team soon and I'm sure Seattle will too but if it comes down to picking one of those uh, you got to go where the the more recent success has been and that's Las Vegas and Las Vegas has a a real chance here to become a true uh, sports capital Um, you already have the gambling and all that stuff going on here and now you put five major league sporting teams here uh that's just kind of the icing on the cake for me so very excited i really hope the a's move here um and i hope we get nba and mls those are the next two to follow suit and we have all five yeah um i'm gonna say this that i'm happy for the a's that they're gonna be that they could potentially be here i think it's great for las vegas but what i more so want to focus in on is a point that you kind of touched on a little bit in the second half of uh of the what you were saying earlier uh when it comes to the NBA um adding the adding MLB to the Vegas sports market really starts limiting the excuses that Adam Silver has when, when it comes to the NBA not being a full-time resident of Las Vegas you you can look around the league and I can guarantee you there would be at least 3 or 4 teams that would line up for a relocation that are currently either unhappy with their arena they're playing in, unhappy with the city they're playing in, and if posed the question, would you be willing to relocate your team, they would probably take the offer. The Pelicans. The Pel- I look at the Pelicans. They play in a – I think the Thomas and Mac is in, in better condition in the arena they play in. <laughs> and second, uh, the the whole it looks like a UNLV game. I mean, like the lower bowl is like half, half full, and then the, the balcony is completely empty. So, I mean, uh, the, the way New Orleans is playing – and the support they're obviously getting from the city and their facilities that they currently have, I mean, to me, that'd be the front-runner team right now to relocate would be the Pelicans. And you also look at it from... Because the, the NBA's longest excuse was, oh, well, we don't want to deal with the, the gambling aspect of Vegas. And what happened in the All-Star game here in 2007. Right, which... Which is stupid. To the All-Star game, that we're almost coming up on 15 years past that. Yeah. So... I mean, you can hang on that all you want to, but you st- you got to start living in the present at some point. When it comes to the the gambling aspect of it, I look around at all these different states that have sp- legalized sports gambling, such as a Pennsylvania, an Illinois, um, some states even back east, I believe, have it. I think uh, New Jersey has it, um, Colorado has it. All states that have a NBA team in them or multiple NBA teams in them, they all have legalized sports gambling. What's what's the difference with Nevada getting it? So that argument kind of dissipates a little bit there. And the fact is we have an arena basically ready for them to play in. They There's no reason that they can't split the T-Mobile with the Vegas Golden Knights. They do it in 
um, L.A. with the L.A. Kings and the Clippers and the Lakers, and that's two NBA franchises currently sharing one arena. This would be a hockey franchise and an NBA franchise sharing the same arena. T-Mobile is not even 10 years old. I don't even know if it's five years old, to be honest. I don't think it is. Maybe it's just coming up on five years old. Uh, I think it opened in 2016, so it would be around five years old. Yeah, so that. five, six years old, somewhere around there. In in terms of arenas, it's one of the newer ones developed, and it's pro, it's shown to be a pretty suitable venue for the Vegas Golden Knights. They seem to sell that place out almost every night, even on the nights that they're not playing all that well, and that's an NHL team. You bring an NBA team to Vegas, I think Vegas gets behind this team fairly quickly if – the same holds true for how quickly they got behind the Vegas Golden Knights. If you bring a team such as the Pelicans to uh, to Las Vegas, especially with a headliner like Zion Williamson, got to change their name first. <laughs> yeah, we'll work on that. But I'm the Las Vegas Pelicans. I don't. I have never seen a Pelican in the Las Vegas Valley. So yeah, we would definitely have to change the name. But the pigeons, maybe I see a lot of uh, see a lot of pigeons. We could be we could be the pigeons. Joey, we're trying to attract people <laughs> to these games, not scare them away. <laughs> um, yeah, they have a live pigeon flying around the. <laughs> It's like the it's like how they do the the bald eagle. Yeah. You know, they used to have the bald eagle fly around the stadiums during right. the national anthem or whatever. They just have like a a pigeon that's like losing all of its feathers and Yeah. This has just been through hell flying around the arena. Yeah, exactly. And so you get a team like the Pelicans, maybe the Kings want to move. Uh, you look at some of these teams, I think if the question was seriously prompted to some of these owners and general managers, they would I think do the necessary paperwork in order to apply for a relocation. Or if you really want to, if you're the NBA, you could even go the route of an expansion. I don't know if an expansion is necessarily a bad idea. Um, granted, money off of it. Granted, you would have to probably find, you'd have to rework some of the divisions and the conferences to make it all work, but... They need to be reworked anyway, so... I, I think an expansion isn't a terrible idea. You could format it the same way they did with hockey, where you get to protect a certain amount of players, and then whoever is unprotected is up to be drafted, essentially, um, much like the Vegas Golden Knights formatted their roster when they first came to town. And so from that, I, I think the NBA, you're running out of excuses to not be in Las Vegas. Like, you know, we, we talked about it. Most of the major sports leagues are here now. MLB's on the, on the fringe, it feels like, of coming. We've got you know, a, well, I shouldn't say renowned, but a well-known at least university that has a storied program in basketball that a lot of people are familiar with. You've got even minor league teams such as the Aviators. Um, you have WNBA here. So you already have the uh, female uh, portion of your league here in Las Vegas. You know, it, it start the excuses really start becoming limited as far as why the holdout is for Las Vegas, particularly when you look at the next candidate in line, which is sounding like Seattle for the NBA. Seattle already had their team, and they left. You really want to give Seattle a second chance before Vegas even has a first, right? And so that's been the argument I've made pretty consistently for I don't even know how many years now, probably four or five since the talks really started heating up with NBA coming to Vegas. And if you look at it, the NBA already does a lot of events here in Las Vegas. I don't know what adding an NBA team here is such a big deal about. 
when you have the summer league, men's uh, USA men's basketball. Uh, we, I mean, tomorrow or tonight, we're we're seeing Gonzaga and UCLA play each other. Number one and yeah, two why, teams. I wonder in the why country. all these tournaments, all these big college basketball <laughs> games, are being played in Las Vegas and they're not being played in Seattle. I mean, you had the number. Let's four. go to Key Arena in Seattle where the Kraken play. And let's, let's yeah, you had, you had number one and two playing each other tonight. You had number four Michigan in town over the weekend. Just this week, you have you had a uh, Michigan, UNLV. Wichita and Arizona, two mm-hmm. top 25 teams, all playing at T-Mobile Arena. Yep. And then you have this week, you have Gonzaga and UCLA, and then you have Duke versus UCLA, and then you got UCLA versus UNLV all this week. And then you also have the Maui Invitational with teams like Oregon, Houston. Uh, who else is in that? I know there's a lot of Power 5 schools. Oh, Notre Dame. So the Maui Invitational is one of the biggest like midseason tournaments, and that's over at Mandalay Bay. Yeah. So you have all these big you know, headliner. And then you also have the CBS Sports Classic with Kentucky, UCLA. Who else is in there? Ohio State and North Carolina. North Carolina, yeah. So I wonder why these are being played in Las Vegas and not and not Seattle. Yeah. Uh, but hopefully we see the NBA make its permanent residency here in Las Vegas in the very near future. But while we're on the topic of Las Vegas, we have a professional sports team that did play over the weekend, the Las Vegas Raiders, and... Well, they they hung tough for a little bit, and, and then they became the Raiders, and yeah. they they fell apart against the Cincinnati Bengals. I believe losing by a final score. I want to say it was was it thirty one seventeen? Let me check that. Thirty two thirteen. Thirty two to thirteen. So losing by almost twenty points. That being the Raiders at home again. Raiders have now lost three in a row, and will be on a short week as they travel to Dallas to play the Cowboys on Thanksgiving. Fun, 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 fun. Um. Yeah, it, it was funny just seeing Derek Carr. Again, in the more the Derek Carr, the Derek Carr slander continues. But it was just funny seeing Derek Carr go in there and being like, "Oh yeah, this is 100 percent on me, 100 percent on me." Like thinking Raider fans would be like, "Oh Derek, no, you know you're such a leader, but you know that you know we appreciate you taking accountability, but this isn't your fault." Like, no, it it is. We 100 percent agree with uh uh you taking the fall on that because. It is your fault. You have been playing pretty poorly these last three games, and you seem to do it every single season when you get off to these hot starts, whether it's 5-2, and 7-3, and 7-4, and 6-3, and three, like how it's been going these past three or four years for the Raiders, and then it gets to playoff time, and you can completely collapse. Again, I've brought it up several times, but if I'm, make my, I'm Mike Mayock, the general manager of the, uh, the Raiders, and the point in the offseason comes where Derek Carr is eligible for that extension, he's not getting it from me. I'm not giving a max extension to a guy who has not won a single playoff game yet and can't even get me to the playoffs, let alone. He's gotten us to the playoffs once, and that was before his injury. Since his injury, he has not gotten, he has not gotten us to the playoffs, and I don't think he's even gotten the Raiders to a winning record. So in what universe does that qualify for him getting a, a crazy contract extension? Regardless of how he feels about your organization, I know he loves playing for the Raiders, and I know he loves Raider fans, blah, 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 blah. But he's not winning you football games, and your job as a general manager is to win football games. So are are you going to move on and find that franchise quarterback? Because, again, you're in a division with Justin Herbert and Patrick Mahomes. Derek Carr, to me, once Justin Herbert it gets on Patrick Mahomes' level, which is, I think, two years from now, we're already seeing flashes of it right now, Derek Carr is not going to be in the same universe as those two guys. So it poses the question to – 
you have to find your franchise quarterback. And it may not be in this year's draft class, which is a great opportunity for the Raiders to let Mariota run with it and see how he does. Maybe Mariota is a good quarterback. Uh, This is a former number two overall pick in the NFL draft to the Tennessee Titans. So you give him a shot going into next season. You have nothing to lose. And it's really a win-win. He sucks. You get a good draft pick, and then you get that franchise quarterback. He's great. Wow, you found someone for a fairly cheap price. Uh, you really didn't have to. You really didn't have to lose that much or give up that much at all. So uh, I think that's just what the Raiders should run with this year: draft some receivers, see how Mariota does at quarterback, uh, and then go from there. But yeah, Carr's is not the answer. It'll be interesting to see who starts on on Thursday. I anticipate it'll be Derek Carr. Uh, we'll see if he keeps the job throughout the game, uh, and if they lose. We'll see if they give it to Mariota and let him finish out the year. But, I mean, I, I'm i not trying to be a wise guy here and be like, I saw this coming. But when they were 5-2, and two, I told Matt. I was like, I anticipate they're going to blow it at some point. And since then, they've lost three straight games. So, I think uh, – I'm not saying their season's over, but they got a lot of work to do. And they got a tough six games left on their schedule or several games left on their schedule. Uh, and they practically need to finish – five and two or six and one in that stretch i think for them to get into the playoffs and i don't know if they can do that it's going to be interesting with the raiders they're they really i said it last week they really needed to beat the Bengals. i mean i don't know how much more i could emphasize the fact that the Bengals game was essentially the raiders season if they lost that game you could just see the downfall coming even further now that you've got Dallas on a short week on Thanksgiving, who just came off of a loss on the road to Kansas City. From what I'm reading, it feels like Dallas is getting a little bit healthier. I don't think they'll have Amari Cooper in the lineup because he'll still be on protocol, but you'll have, I believe, guys such as C.D. Lamb should be healthy and ready to go. Um, and you've you've got uh, Zeke Elliott. I know he got banged up in the game, but it sounds like he should be available for Thursday. And... It was a very uncharacteristic uh, game for Dallas. They only scored nine points, and it's one of the better offenses in the league. You have to imagine they're going to want to get that right, especially now being back at home. Um, It's a traditional Thanksgiving Day game for Dallas. And I I get the Cowboys haven't necessarily played all the greatest when it comes to Thanksgiving Day games, but I think this is a year that they could probably play pretty well, given that the Raiders are just in a really bad spot right now. They are losing. They've lost three straight. They're on the very, very outside looking in of the playoffs. And I mean, just the bare, I mean, they get any more outside, they're going to be basically eliminated from the playoff contention. I think maybe technically they're still somewhat involved with the playoff talk, but not really. And this is a Raiders team that has to play, like I said, Dallas on a short week. Then you come back home the following week to play Washington. And then you have to go back to Arrowhead to play the Chiefs a second time. That's a pretty tough three stretch, three or pretty tough stretch of three games there given that like I said Dallas is off of a bad loss the Washington football team is looking really impressive even without Chase Young they got a win over the Panthers the game that Chase Young went out I believe they still won and so this is a a team that is picking up steam and the Raiders are spiraling almost out of control it feels like and the it, I think it all starts with the offense I, I think that defense for the Raiders they did. They produced some pretty big plays early on in that game, but when you get the ball on, I think it was the 10 or the 15-yard line, well within inside the red zone, 
off of a play that your defense creates and you only walk away with three points, that, that pretty much tells you all you need to know about what the Raider offense is looking at right now. And, I mean, can this team win two more games this year? Maybe. Maybe three most, but I would be very shocked if they won any more than about – if they finished any better than eight and nine. Yeah, I'm thinking around seven and ten, just based off the everything that has everything that could go wrong has gone wrong for them. You look, with, you look at with Arnett, Gruden, Henry Ruggs, uh, and also their terms of playing, that actual play style. Uh, it's just it just seems like in recent years, everything that can go wrong will go wrong for this team, which is which sucks. Now, what do you what do you think the score prediction is on Thursday? Uh, I'm gonna go twenty four. Because Dallas is banged up and CeeDee Lamb is on concussion protocol, so I don't even know if he'll play. But I'm going to go 24-13 to 13, Dallas. And it's a short week, so I, both teams will kind of like not be fully recovered, I think, and they'll be a little bit sloppy. I think NFL needs to, honestly, like, they need to listen to their players and they need to get rid of the Thursday. If they want to do a midweek game or whatever, they need to do it on Friday night, not Thursday night. Uh, these players clearly... You see a lot of injuries, and you just see a lot of sloppy football often on these Thursday night games. Um, and I think, and you have a, you've had a lot of players speak out about it. So I'd move those games to Friday. And I know this week it's Thanksgiving, so it's going to be played on Thursday. But maybe in the previous week, move some games up to Saturday or Friday, um, or at least for those teams that are playing on on uh, Thursday, so they can get a little bit more comfortable and they can have more rest. But twenty four thirteen, Dallas wins somewhere around that neighborhood. I'm going to go thirty four seventeen. I think 17 is about what the Raider offense is at right now. And I feel like this is a, a get-right game for the Dallas offense, coming off of only scoring nine points last week to the Chiefs. I think this offense is going to want to flex its muscles a little bit, especially being at home. And it feels like maybe to start the game, the Raider defense will keep themselves in this game, but you can only bring down Ezekiel Elliott so many times before you just start getting worn down. And not to mention, I think Tony Pollard is still pretty active in the lineup. Yeah, Tony Pollard's a great option. So if you don't have to worry about Ezekiel Elliott, you're worrying about his duo back with Tony Pollard. And there's still some capable receivers, even that receiving core. And you have Dak Prescott you're going up against, who is still a very, very, very capable quarterback, much more so than Derek Carr by a mile. Yeah, I'll go 34-17. Maybe it, the Raiders keep it somewhat interesting for the first half, but it feels like that defense gets tired in the second half and Dallas really starts pulling away. So, But let's look at another team that has been a little bit disappointing over the past weekend. Uh, I guess depending on who you ask, some some would say that it was maybe not as disappointing, but others would... More would, victories. Yeah, that being UNLV basketball, they were in action at the Roman main event over the weekend at T-Mobile Arena. They played Michigan on Friday night. They played Wichita State Sunday night. They lost to Michigan 74-61. They lost to Wichita State 74-73. to And an 0-2 stint at T-Mobile Arena for first-year head coach uh, Kevin Kruger and the Running Rebels. Uh, yeah, uh, it was really disappointing. Um, the Michigan game, not so much. I don't think really a lot of people anticipated winning that game. And I think for about 37 minutes, they played Michigan really good and really close. Uh, then the final three minutes, just like it was the typical fouling to stop the clock and all that. So I think they played very well against Michigan, and I will give them that. Uh, going into Wichita State, they did play pretty well for about up till the 15-minute mark of the, uh, the second half there. Um, they're doing great defensively, I think, and they were knocking down shots. They had up to a 13-point lead, I believe, uh, up against the Shockers. 
and that kind of all vanished away and it went down to the wire. And I will give it to UNLV. The refs made some pretty bad calls down the stretch. Uh, but let's also remember here the Rebels had a 13-point lead, and they could have uh, easily avoided that by keeping pace and not letting off the gas pedal like they often do. And they let Wichita State back into the game, and they put themselves in that position where a lot of refs made some stupid calls. And again, that call at the end was bullshit, but um, if UNLV would have just kept their foot on the gas pedal, we probably would not have been in that position. And like I was kind of saying earlier this week, uh, it gets really frustrating kind of constantly giving UNLV props for games they lose it would not it would be nice to win a game we're not supposed to win for once you know instead of like man they played them really close or man this team's getting better because to be quite honest we've been repeating that shit for the last six years six seven years we've been saying that same you know they came really close they competed really well when it should be you know just be nice to be like oh my god they won they finally pulled it off they got an upset and i feel like it's gonna be the very same story on ucla and i'm not expecting them to be ucla and i'm not gonna be upset if they lose that game but i feel like they're gonna play the bruins really close up until a certain point in the game and ucla will start pulling away a little bit and then we're gonna hear the same thing like wow they played ucla really close um they're making real progress here and at the end of the day you know you don't get into the tournament off of coming close or uh, playing a team closer than you should have. Like the committee's not going to look at that. They're like your best win in non-conference was Cal, who's projected to finish last in the Mount or excuse me, last in the Pac-12. Uh, so at some point here, whether it's this season or next season, we have to start beating opponents we're not supposed to beat or, or when we're not favored to at least because that's how you get into the tournament. That's how you get uh, recognition. That's how you get people within the Las Vegas community to put your eyes on you like wow UNLV won this game I'm gonna go check out a game they're not gonna be like no one who doesn't follow UNLV basketball closely is gonna look at their recent games and be like wow they play these guys really close I'm gonna go waste $50 on a ticket on a Wednesday night to go see them play Whittier College like no if you're winning these games yeah people will show up but if you're if you're playing teams close you know people aren't interested in that anymore especially when you have like me and Matt have brought up a thousand times when you have other uh sporting teams here like such as the the golden knights and the raiders who are still in play right now um i would much rather spend my money on them than go see unlv play whittier college because they're playing opponents close uh, like that just doesn't interest people so overall it was not a terrible performance from unlv in this tournament um but they should have came away with one win and they should have been wichita state so we'll see how they respond to that uh tomorrow night against whittier and we'll see how they respond on uh on saturday against ucla you know, that, that last or excuse me, Sunday night could have been a real turning point in their season if they're really serious about it. I'm not saying they're not serious, but we'll kind of really see how they respond to that, because I know a few of them were upset um, with that with that last call there. So and obviously blowing the lead, too. So we'll see if they use that as a turning point in their season to kind of go on a run here and uh, uh, finally start getting some notable wins on their slate. So we'll see how they respond. Yeah, I I chatted at pretty decent decent length about this yesterday on the radio show that you know UNLV fans if you want the culture to change your standards have to start to change and it sounds crazy but I think it, it's the honest truth at this point if you are so insistent on this team being a consistent winning program you have to put your foot down at some point and stop making excuses it just it has to be that way you can't sit there and say, you know what? I mean, it's Wichita State. Hey, they they hung tough. They they got screwed by an official a, a bad call. 
which I wouldn't disagree with the sentiment that that was a bad call. I think everybody in the arena, I think even some Wichita State fans were a little bit shocked that they got that call. The player call. was shocked. He was like, I didn't think, he's like, I didn't think I got fouled. Yeah. and He thought he turned the ball over. And sure, I mean, I've always kind of made the, you know, half-hearted argument, but kind of halfway serious at the same time that I do think to a degree Mountain West officiating as a whole should be investigated because this has been a pattern over the last handful of years that we've seen some very questionable officiating crews, uh, whether it's UNLV or anybody else in the Mountain West. Um, it's definitely something I think that should be looked at. But even Kevin Kruger said, you know what, it may have played a very, very small portion in us losing, but it was not the sole reason why we lost this game. We We could have done better in other areas. You know, UNLV goes on a eight-minute streak of not producing any field goals in the second half, and you had an 11-point lead in the second half, and you give it away. There's other areas where, outside of the officiating, that I think UNLV can get better at, and I think it all starts on the offense for them. I don't, I don't think anybody would say that this team, defensively, outside of guarding the three-point line, which could be improved a little bit, for the most part, this is one of the better defensive units for UNLV, I think it all starts with their offense. They have to find a consistent offense to go to because Wichita State was their first game that they scored in the 70s. Everything else had either been a 64, 61, a 55, a, you know, somewhere in those ranges where it's low scoring, but the defense does enough to keep UNLV within reach. Um, you have to find more of an emphasis on offense, and I, I hope that that's starting with the coaching staff because Kevin Kruger has even mentioned it in some post-game press conferences already that uh, he wants to see more of a, an imprint on the offensive end given how much they worked on the defense. Now he feels like this is time more so for the offense. And so we'll, we'll see how this team looks. I, I think going against Whittier College, um, this is a perfect get-right game for UNLV to get some confidence going back into UCLA coming off of the weekend that you would you would have hoped at least one and one on the weekend, if not two and zero. Oh. Um, you finish that weekend up zero oh and two, and it's a little bit demoralizing, I think, and as far as confidence goes for a team and just team morale as a whole. Uh, but I, I like where they placed this Whittier College game. It kind of tra- it transitions the Roman main event to the UCLA game the following weekend. It gets the guys a little bit of confidence. Maybe they make some more of their shots on Wednesday, and they can see the ball go through the hoop and the confidence starts rising a little bit um, to where they can go out and they can be competitive against UCLA because I honestly think if they had to go Michigan, Wichita State, UCLA back to back to back, um, that could be that could be very demoralizing and that's a very brutal stretch of three games that you have to play all really on top of each other for a first-year team that has primarily transfers, a first-year head coach. That, that could have been brutal. So I, I do tip my cap to the... Uh, UNLV Athletic Department for scheduling the way that they did to kind of squeeze some of these smaller games such as the Whittier College right in between a lot of the bigger games. Yeah, uh, so we'll see. We'll see how they respond on Wednesday, uh, excuse me, Wednesday night. And uh, one last, another loss uh, for UNLV. Uh, we'll finish it up here with UNLV football. Closing out their home, uh, final home game at Allegiant Stadium, losing 28-20 to 19th ranked uh, San Diego State. And again, I mean, it's the same thing. I mean, UNLV football played them really close, and it was a game they had opportunities to win, but uh, ultimately didn't come out with it. So, again, one thing I will say with UNLV football, though, is we definitely have seen improvement from week one to, what are we in now, week 11, week 12 of college football. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know, losing to Eastern Washington to now beating 
Hawaii and uh, New Mexico back to back, and then playing a couple of top twenty-five teams pretty close, uh, including UTSA, San Diego State, and uh, Fresno State. It would be nice to pull one of those off because uh, we had plenty of opportunities, honestly, to pull all three of those games off, but just couldn't finish it, couldn't close it out. So, um, and Justin Rogers, who we give a lot of crap to played really well and i will give it to him and i will say i was wrong about him for at least that game uh he checked in the football game and i was like oh boy all right well you know he's not going to cover the spread and then uh he he played a really he probably played the best complete performance i've seen from a unlv quarterback this season so i will admit when i'm wrong and uh he definitely proved a lot of uh unlv fans wrong who've given him a lot of crap this season so we'll see if he starts on uh on a Saturday against Air Force, and we'll see if he hangs around next season. I don't know what got into him that night, but that is a completely different quarterback. That was someone who was fearless, who was throwing the ball, who was making great passes. Um, that was a completely different quarterback from what we saw week one against Eastern Washington. That guy would not throw the football. I mean, you can run at him with a, a machete or a or a shotgun, and he still wouldn't throw the football. You, nah, I'm just going to – I'll take the sack. So uh, we'll, we'll see what happens with him. If he can play like that, then, I mean <laughs> – UNLV's got a great problem with three great quarterbacks. So, uh, But overall, I mean, no one really expected them to win this game. They played San Diego State close. So it would have been nice to see them win. UNLV football is a little different from UNLV basketball because they've never really been good at anything. So um, we'll, we'll see how they close out the year against Air Force. It's either going to be like they're just done with it at this point, they're, they're ready to go in the offseason, and they're, they're going to lose like 3-33 to 33 or something, or they're going to want to go all out because it's going to be the last college football game for a lot of seniors there. So... They might want to play. They might play Air Force really close, and they might pull off an upset. Who knows? But uh, this is a game I really can't make a prediction on because I don't know how. I've seen UNLV teams UNLV teams throw the towel the final week of the season, and I've seen UNLV teams uh, play play a lot of teams they're not supposed to play really close, like UNR. I remember the three and eight the three and eight UNLV Rebels uh, playing eight and three Reno at Sam Boyd Stadium, and we were down twenty three points, and we came back and pulled it off and won by five points and got the Fremont Cannon back. And the following year going to Reno, we were 3-8 and eight again, and Reno was 7-4, and four, I think. And we went up to Reno, and we pulled off an upset, and we got the Fremont Cannon, where we retained it, I should say. So, And there's also been years where we're 2-10, and 10, and this is Reno again. <laughs> we were playing Reno at home, and uh, Reno beat us like by 49-27, to 27, I want to say. So there's been games where they, 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 they play those opponents um, like it's their last game ever, and there's been games like they're just ready to go in the offseason. So we'll see how they approach this one. Yeah, uh, Joey kind of beat me to the punch on this one, but I, I do agree that yes, UNLV football, you can make the you can start making the excuse a little bit that you know this team did play close because let's be honest, nobody expected UNLV football to go knock off number nineteen San Diego State, but here they were in the fourth quarter with a chance to win the game, even after having to go through a quarterback change mid game, they lost their top receiver to injury in Kyle Williams, and. UNLV still, you know, battled hard. They they played a really good game, I thought, for the most part. The only thing that was lacking was the fourth quarter offense, which has been pretty much the case all season with UNLV football is they play great for three quarters. The defense sets them up in great field position, great opportunities to score, and the offense just disappears in the fourth quarter. And it, it kind of did the same thing against San Diego State. And I think that was the difference maker for San, for why San Diego State was able to hang on and get the win over UNLV was the offense just stopped scoring in the latter portions of the third and early portions of the fourth quarter. And it wore down the defense enough to where San Diego state started busting out big chunk plays and was able to start pulling away a little bit in the fourth. 
to win by eight. And so it, I think for football, you can you can use that excuse a little bit more that, yes, UNLV football doesn't have a history of winning. So if you can get close with a team like San Diego State and start building momentum that way, I mean, it, it's one of those you have to start somewhere. And UNLV's never been good. But even still, it'd just be nice to like it I would said, be, be nice it, just to pull it off for right. once. Like, because like, UNLV basketball has pulled off a couple of times, especially in the Dave Rice and Kruger era. But like, football just <laughs> at least at least since I've started following them, I don't think I've seen them beat a top twenty. No, they beat Fresno that one time. Wasn't Fresno like twenty three or twenty second in the country, and they beat him that one year under Tony Sanchez? They may have, yeah. Or San Diego State was like twenty fourth or something. One of those two teams, or maybe even both. Uh, but it, it's very very rarely happened, and they've had opportunities to do it. So that I'm just speaking on UNLV athletics as a whole. Especially this year, football's had that opportunity three or four times, and basketball's had that opportunity uh, once on Sunday night. And uh, it would just be nice to be like, "Man, we pulled it off," because we haven't really. I've, I, I don't think we've been able to say that at least in the last five years. I can't think of UNLV bass. I mean, they beat Reno under Marvin Mendes in 2018, I think, when Reno was like 23rd on the road. So I think that was the last time maybe we've been able to say that. They beat San Diego State on the road that one time under Otto. Oh yeah, that's right. Well, now I look stupid, but that was uh, that was 2019, I think. Right. So, uh, but it just very rarely happens, and they're always on the road. Like we can't do it at, at home or <laughs> here in Vegas. We can pull it off on the road. So I think the last time they they had an upset like that at home was was it Zona? Arizona, yeah. I was at that game too. That was the last. So I got to witness the last uh, court storm. Right. And Thomas and Mac and recent Thomas and Mac history, but I was I was at that game. Rashad Vaughn and Patrick McCaw days, but uh and Christian Wood was on that team. So I mean, hopefully, uh hopefully we can experience it on Saturday. I'm not anticipating it and I'm not expecting Unilby to win that game, but that'd just be nice to yeah. see them pull that one off. I mean, I don't know. Anything I, I feel like anything's possible with this team at this point. Yeah. Given you looking at UCLA schedule as well, they're they're playing tonight against the number one team in the country that that could be, as I alluded to a little bit earlier in the week, that that could be a game that they get worn down a little bit, UCLA does, and maybe they come out with some I'm time. rooting for them tonight, though. Well, yeah, for obvious reasons. Yeah. If anybody knows Joey, you'll know why he's rooting for UCLA. Um, well, there's two reasons. Because if UNLV somehow pulls it off, I want us to be the first team to beat him, you know? Right. And then the second reason is the obvious. It's Chet Holgram. <laughs> I don't like that. Joey's a big Chet Holgram guy yeah. over here. In case you Chet, Chet Holgram <laughs> hater, just like just like Derek Carr. So, right. um, yeah. But <laughs> Aiden became a fanboy of him last night. Uh, but I mean, I don't hate Chet Holgram, but I just think I just don't get the hype around him. I watch him play, and it's just like it's just like how does he? I, I sound like a I sound like a fucking loser because I'm here doing a podcast and this guy's playing Division One basketball. But um, he's just he, he's very he's very scrawny. Uh, he doesn't have a lot of size under him, and it's just like, how does this guy consistently score? And it'll be very interesting to see when he gets to the NBA, and when he starts playing, you know, teams like tonight. He's playing UCLA, and he's gonna play Duke on uh, Friday. And if he can play very well in those games, then I'll admit when I'm wrong. I'm like, well, okay, maybe he can play in the NBA a little bit. But still, the NBA is very different. Like his size right now, I don't think anyone with a functioning brain can say this guy can post up Anthony Davis right now. Right. Or this guy, like, I don't even think this guy can post up LeBron. Right. Um, if, if someone of that size is guarding him, I don't, or even he's defending one of those guys. It's very different from guarding someone on who are they playing last or central Michigan, you know? Yeah. Uh, so we'll see how he plays these two games. If he plays very well, then I'll be like, 
hey, he played a hell of a game. I was I was wrong, but I'll reserve judgment on that till I see him play these games. That'll be uh, tonight's a big test for Gonzaga and Chet Holmgren. Holmgren. I think I said that right. I don't care. Um, anyway, uh, it's gonna be a, a big test, and I think uh, we'll we'll get to see where both of these teams are at and. Man, I would love to come in on Monday and say UCL or UNLV pulled off the upset, but we'll have to wait and see um, for for both, I guess, football and basketball uh, on the Monday's edition of Back and Forth. We'll probably get one more podcast episode out to you guys on Wednesday before the Thanksgiving break, and then we won't have anything until Monday. So enjoy the rest of your day. We will talk to you guys tomorrow. We appreciate you guys tuning into the Back and Forth podcast. You've been listening. From your hosts, Stat Matt and Joey G, my co-host, we will be back tomorrow, as I mentioned. Until then, make sure you follow the show on Twitter at Back, BackForthPod, Instagram's at BackForthPodcast. And until tomorrow, enjoy the rest of your day. And as I always like to say, especially when we talk about UNLV, let's go Rebels. <laughs>